You're listening to Peanut Butter and Jams with host Brenda and Jordy on CITR 101.9, exploring local music and local food. Tune in to learn about the best eats and tunes from your neighborhood and a weekly pairing for your date calendar. Warning, the endorsements and criticism expressed during the show are the opinions of the hosts, unless clearly identified as advertising. Put in your earbuds and fire up your taste buds. It's Peanut Butter and Jams. Good evening. It's Thursday. It's time for Peanut Butter and Jams. This is Brenda, uh, one of our co-hosts, and the other co-host just ran out to get a microphone adapter. But we have a special guest in the studio, and his name is Robert Catherell. Hello, Rob. Hi there. And Rob is our resident alcohol, liquor, bylaw, regulation expert, and we regularly call on him to cover items like that. And on today's show, one of the things we're going to be talking about is comparing liquor policies between Montana and BC, since Jordy, who is still not back to the studio, recently went to Montana on his honeymoon. So we're going to tell you a bit about that. Uh, To start, though, we'll play you a track by Teen Days.
This is Peanut Butter and Jams with me, Jordy. Jordy, who's recently and back. Yes, that's and Brenda. we're happy to have him back. We already did the intro. Oh, did you guys even say your names and stuff? We did. Oh, but I wasn't here. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here too. Jordy is also here. We're very happy to have him here, and he is back from a trip from... Montana. Yeah, perfect. Also Wyoming, and Idaho, and Washington. You have to wow. go through all of those places to get nice to Yellowstone. So we already said that we were going to talk about a comparison of Montana and BC liquor policy, but we're also going to talk about something else that you're really excited about. Tell us, Jordy. Um, road trip snacks. I was on a really long road trip, and uh, I was... Uh, in the, uh, on on the road for about 12 to some of the days we were driving for 12 hours. So we um, spent a lot of time exploring our favorite road trip snacks and uh, playing road trip games. This is me and my uh, my wife, mm-hmm. Darcy Broach, Peanut Jams correspondent. correspondent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pointing and at a ring. There we go. Yeah, we can uh, show you on Facebook the ring <laughs> you'll be like oh my god <laughs> take a picture it's so big um <laughs> yes so we're going to talk a little bit about what to eat in your car yeah or van or truck when no, you're trapped no there voluntarily for 12 hours a day mm-hmm. what is good for you and for your car yeah and sometimes what you want and what get are in like what you want and what you what is good for your car or not in or not in agreement yeah and sometimes what's healthy is not in agreement either so So we're gonna play another song by sleuth a local band who are we playing before this that was teen days and this track was called morning world off the album morning world i liked it yeah me too rob's here hello Hello, Rob. Um, and the, so the next song is called The Honey is in the Hive from the album Out of the Blue Period. And just to uh, jump back for a moment, when Jordy was actually on his honeymoon, or actually, sorry, preparing to get married, I hosted the show solo. And I think my first show, my first solo show. And he, uh, when I did this show, um, the theme was insects. So I interviewed Karen Needham from the biodiversity the (laughs) bd biodiversity museum which i can't say properly anytime and i also interviewed uh norm caitler about urban beekeeping so it was an insect themed show Mm -hmm. uh but when i had karen needham on it on the air she brought some bugs edible bugs and are they're meal meal mealworms from Mm -hmm. the bug bistro yeah so jordy is holding the bugs that i ate last show in his hands and i've had a bunch of he's them. casually eating them yeah just popping them in his mouth i'm doing it to bug brenda but they're actually not bad they're not like super tasty but they're kind of just flavorless mm-hmm. and crunchy you got a nice mouth feel going on a bit yeah. like a neutral spirit in bug form yeah, yeah this is like the vodka the vodka of uh <laughs> <laughs> of insects of insects even these these ones are supposed to be fire and brimstone mealworms, which I think means they're supposed to have like a spicy flavor to them, but they're kind of kind of plain tasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, don't be yourself. don't be afraid of mealworms. No, they they look like they're wiggling, but they're really dried, and taste just fine. She's saying that because if you move the packaging, 
this Bug Bistro, I don't know if they thought about this when they picked their packaging, but if you kind of like open it, it looks like the bugs are alive and moving around, which doesn't seem like a great marketing plan Mm -hmm. if you're selling bugs and there's already an ick factor involved. But I bet it goes over better with like five-year-olds or like eight-year-olds who are trying Mm -hmm. to like gross each other out. Who think it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Is that really their market though? People who are just want to blow their allowance on edible bugs? Uh, Probably not. I I would imagine that they're doing this for some sort of like noble cause to try and be on the forefront of like new new proteins. Self-aware university students. I I think it's for like um, like – What's the word? Food, like a food security issue where mm-hmm. you're trying to find a cheap source of protein instead of... Um, a really heavy land ins- use. Yeah, instead of like cattle or um, It's about the end times and the yeah. apocalypse, really. I guess but that's you, why it's called fire and brimstone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All I'm saying is that when the end times come, I... Jordy's going to be on the sidelines with, I, it, with a beer and a bunch of bugs in his hand. Yeah, and I'm going to be like, it's fine. Just watching it all happen. It's fine. But if you want to know more about it, listen to the last show. There's a podcast. Yeah, you can go back to our podcast feed at CITR.ca. I'm just sad I missed it because I w- would have eaten a bunch of bugs on the show. I ate five. Jordy, I've already Jordy eaten like a dozen of these. <laughs> I ate five handfuls. Anyways, yes. Casually. So uh, go back and listen to our podcast from last show. And on that theme, we're going to play The Honey is in the Hive by Sleuth. <laughs>
Vancouver International Film Festival will once again welcome some of the world's finest films to one of the most beautiful cities on the planet. From September 24th to October 9th, the 34th annual VIFF will present over 300 films from 70 countries to nine Vancouver screens. Visit the Vancouver International Film Festival online at viff.org. Everything changed. Everything changed. I knew this day Tune in every Thursday from 11 p.m. till midnight for Copy and Paste with your host, Tim, a.k.a. Autonomy, the very best in underground dance music.
And we're back. Uh, that was Stefana Fratilla, uh, off of her new album. What's that called, Brenda? Ephemera. And the song? Uh, it was called Pixel Plant Hound Dog. I like that. It's a big different direction for Stefana. Mm-hmm. More electronic. Yeah, she used to be pretty folky. Yeah. Songwritery. Well, she's still. Her, she, like she put out her first album when she was really young like mm-hmm. 20 or something so mm-hmm. and she's a student here at ubc she'll probably change directions again i bet mm-hmm. yeah she'll be like the david bowie of vancouver music nude new direction every album new costume maybe actually the same costume i don't know she what she's does wearing. have different hair i think it's pink or purple. new costume yeah she's david bowieing new costume <laughs> yes calling that's it. now a verb yeah People know what it means. I'm I'm a wordsmith. <laughs> uh, so can you tell us a bit about your recent trip, Jordy? Yeah, I went on my honeymoon to uh, Montana, um, which was uh, pretty fun. Um, I know that I got some questions from you guys before the show about why I went to Montana for my honeymoon. It's mm-hmm. a unique destination. Um, the reason was that the nice parts of Portland are expensive. So we looked for a backup place, like the nice like hotels and stuff, because we didn't want to stay at like a divey place. But we found some relatively inexpensive B&Bs in Missoula, Montana, and used that as a launching point to go to Yellowstone, um, which is very cool. And Missoula itself is actually a very cool city too, um, although a little smaller than some of the other places. But we wanted to go on a road trip. Um together me and darcy and missoula was with is within driving distance of vancouver although it is a long drive i would actually do it in two days if we did it again how many days did it take you it took us one day to get there that's a long day it is a long day yes and um if you if we planned it we might have stopped it i don't know spokane or something on the way spokane's nice i like it there is it nice it's a, it's a train town, a university town. Okay. It's kind of got its own own charm to it. Uh, it's in the Okanagan Valley, too, or just, just outside the Okanagan Valley. Mm-hmm. So lots of... Uh, it's very charming. Yeah. Picturesque in certain ways. Yeah, we saw a lot of different towns, and some of them definitely seemed really nice. Like, oh, I could stop here. Like, we stop, went through, like, Coeur d'Alene, or Coeur d'Alene. Coeur d'Alene. Yeah, Coeur d'Alene. In Idaho, and that was like a, just like a really nice resort town. We stopped and had like stopped at a bar and had like a really nice meal there. One of the better road meals we had. Yeah. Did you have any wine down there? Uh, no, we had a lot of beer. Yeah. And um, a lot of uh, we went to a couple of distilleries. Um, the Montgomery Distillery in Missoula, Montana, is a really cool place. If you ever get the chance to go down there, they um, they know their cocktails really well. They've uh, I must admit, Missoula, Montana is not high on my uh, hit list. Um, if you're if you're looking for just like a nice town to hang out in, it's a, it's totally fun. Um, it's not like maybe a city that I would go unless there was an event or going on. Or if, like we went because we just wanted to relax and have like a nice place to explore, and it was good for that. But like, it's not like um, I wouldn't say it's like a great destination city. It's just like a like it's just it's got all the nice things. But it doesn't have any big things that makes it really stand out from other places that have nice things. And it's half the price of Portland. It is half the price <laughs> of Portland. So it has that going on. <laughs> yeah. 
And what kind of liquor establishments did you go to in Missoula? Um, so we went to, basically there was three types of liquor establishments that we went to. Um, we went to breweries, which they have a number of microbreweries, kind of like they have in uh, Vancouver. Some of them are more set up like tasting rooms, and some of them are set up more like a warehouse that you can order beer in. And are they still all fixated on IPAs like they are here? Um, you can tell they really like IPAs, but they have trouble getting hops or something. I'm not sure. Like They don't do their IPAs nearly as hoppy as they do out here. The ones that like when I was there, I was ta- constantly talking to locals and being like, "Oh, what beer should I get? What beer should I get?" And they would always recommend the IPA from their brewery, from like this brewery or that brewery. And like I would drink the IPA and be like, "This is like really mild as an IPA goes." From yeah, it's like a West Coast pale ale. Yeah, kind of like more like a West Coast pale ale than it was like, mm. um, in level in terms of hoppiness. I think I had one beer that I was like, "Oh, that's a little too hoppy for me." I don't I don't love hops, but like most of the IPAs there, I was like, "This is a good level of hops." I'm. Yeah, I'm, it's, I'm quite happy with this. It's quite a unique situation on the West Coast with the level of hops that uh, a lot of breweries really go overboard with. Yeah, like the like here in Vancouver, most of the breweries have like something that I think if they tried it there, they'd be like, "Holy crap, that's so skunky!" It's, <laughs> like, it's too much, too much. Yeah, or or maybe they would love it and envy the fact that we can get it. But I don't feel like they've ever hit that hop saturation point that yeah. like happened in bc that's interesting though because western or eastern washington was uh traditionally and has been continually in the yakima valley one of the largest hop producing regions oh yeah western washington but i was in montana in, which is a it's not it's not, i mean it it's not that far it's, it's still like about equidistant to vancouver in my so, mind so 500 miles over or something like that so it's not in my mind it's not too far yeah. Uh, so it seems interesting that they would be. They could, they could ship it out, but they don't. Uh, maybe people's tastes aren't. I think the it's same, probably the taste. So they don't make it that way. I feel like they're still um, at a point where, like, even though they're close to like the Pacific Northwest and all the beer trends there, they're kind of easing the local population into them instead of. I can see that. Instead of just going like all hops, all sours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it takes some some warming up too. Mm-hmm. Those big, bold, uh, bitter, high IBU beers. Uh, you know, they do I, post their IBUs everywhere. Like, more than, like, I know that some Vancouver breweries post IBUs. Of it's a little bit there. of a contentious issue because it's, uh, it's not really standardized. Yeah, the International Bitterness Unit? Yeah, it's... Uh, but it's international. It's international, <laughs> but uh, it's not really standardized. There's no scientific measurement. So is someone just, it. like, guessing what it's the IBU really arbitrary. is? It's really arbitrary. How do yeah. the, how do you know how it's determined? Uh, at at the will of the brewer. Oh, they just say it. They just say it. I think this is about a forty-five IBUs. Forty-five sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's go with that. Okay. Huh. Well, I've, I thought it was so much more. No, so my drink. understanding. Yeah. When you've drunk a certain number of beers, you get to determine an IBU. Yeah. Is there is there like official people who can assign IBUs? No, but that could be. Uh, could be your next next gig. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, you just made yourself a job. Sign me up. Sign me up, <laughs> International Bitterness Unit System. Yeah, whatever, whatever your organization. It's, it's up body to you is. now. You get to standardize yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, if there isn't one, I could just declare myself the person who's exactly been, who the can, gold standard. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the gold standard. Then everything will be set to my taste buds. I like yeah. that idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, we if you do end up in Missoula, Kettle House Brewing. Is really good. Um, it's mo- so most breweries in Montana revolved around a theme of 
large animals. So like all their beers were named for moose, bison, bears, grizzlies, still bears, but <laughs> elk. All the all like the large um, fauna of of Montana. But this place, Kettle House, wanted to be different, so they're all weed themed beers. Like so they call their beer like Bong Water, oh, Hamptoberfest. Wow. Uh, we don't even have that in Vancouver. No, <laughs> you'd think we would, but we're all like, eh, it's tried. Um, but at Kettle House, they just named it all that, but none of their stuff tasted. I was like, oh, the people are like, get the bong water. It's great. And I was like, oh, with a name like bong water. That's really not an appealing name at all. No, it doesn't sound appealing at all. But it's probably like really hoppy or something. So I tried it. I was like, oh, this is like, just like a nice pale ale. Hmm. And, <laughs> um, but uh, it, that one really stood out because it was all weed-themed, even though the bar itself didn't feel like a weed-themed bar. Everyone there was just kind of like a bunch of college students, a um, bunch of people who just finished work. Just pretty regular bar that just happened to be uh, paraphernalia-based? Yeah, just just happened to name all their beers after um, various There were no uh, Hendrix posters on the wall or anything no, like that? No, there wasn't. There was absolutely nothing. Didn't feel like a college dorm room? There wasn't that smell, that yes. sweet smell, fake pumped in from a little like thing in the wall. Oh, we were like, oh no, that's just um, that's uh, just, just a fake, just smell. burning potpourri. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, no, there wasn't, but their beer was really good. Um, if I would, oh. I would recommend it. Okay, so note to uh, budding entrepreneurial brewers out there: there's a market for vancouver to have a weed no don't go there don't go there the naming was the worst part of it their beer tasted good but the names were terrible do you do you want to drink a bunch of beer that's named after a bunch of weed weed stuff like no i i have had partaked in and i don't like look down on people who do but i don't want it to be in my beer name no no i don't want it to be anywhere near my beer agreed also, it's a different vice. It's like totally that's, different. that's like being like, no, this is the Merlot beer. Yeah, this is exactly. <laughs> this is the Ryan Bourbon beer. I don't no, know that one. Kinda, that no kind of happens already, but <laughs> but no one embraces it. No one really embraces it. No. Mm-hmm. Okay, so everything else is animal related. Everything Most else is animal related. Like there was this place called Imagination um, Brewing. Um, imagine Space Nation brewing and their logo was like a giant bison and like there's another brewery that like their famous one was called moose drool and moose drool i can get behind moose drool yeah it's a, it's that's a lot it sounds a lot more appealing than bong water mm. i don't know i just like traditional straight up names <laughs> where it's just like this is name of company type of beer and you're like oh so this is like if, if it my co- if it was my company it'd be like this is the geordie pale ale this is the Jordy Hefeweizen. That's it. That's all. That's all I need. I don't want. I don't need fancy names that just kind of confuse what it is. No, they didn't call any of the Hefeweizen. Oh, that would be good. I Clever. bet there is a Hefeweizen there. Probably. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> you should. You should send a letter to Montana. <laughs> I keep that one for myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just wait till you move to Montana. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Did you meet any dental floss tycoons out there? What does that mean? It's a Frank Zappa reference. You failed. Oh, yeah, I to didn't. acknowledge it. I, I did. I did. I don't listen to very much Frank Zappa. Does that have to do anything to do with Montana? Oh, it's just 
It's or were you just making, lyric, were you just making a reference? I'm just being cheeky. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, all right. Well, let's go to a song. Okay, so we're <laughs> gonna play something from the Big Smoke compilation. Uh, it's called the Vancouver Connection Volume One. Do either of you know anything about this? Is the Big Smoke compilation a weed reference? Are we getting back to weed <laughs> references? Yeah, I think we're just going around and around in circles. Uh, this is we come uh, with a tie dye insert. Your, oh my goodness! A track called Avid Walker and sorry, by Avid Walker. It's by Avid Walker. And it's called Conversations, just like the one we're having now. It's just like it.
1Ks, three to four. <coughs> I mean, I just wanted to do a nice experimental music radio show and maybe throw in some a nice talking that anonymous private body sense yeah, of your podcast. I mean, I think I can, I can talk and that's good enough. Fight or flight music Sometimes. for things that are not alright. I just... Radio essays and travesties. Radio catechisms. Half-baked philosophy and criticism. Experimental beat music. Avant-garde. Post-punk. Industrial. Noise. Ad nauseum. Sorry about the technical difficulties. We're having a little trouble with one of the files for an ad we were supposed to play, but it didn't work. So we'll we'll move on and try again, maybe. We will try again. What music were we listening to? That was Avid Walker. The track was Conversations Off the Big Smoke, the Vancouver Connection, Volume 1. <laughs> yeah. Did you know that uh, the fellow who's behind Big Smoke is also the same fellow behind the uh, public pianos? Oh, really? Yeah. Very oh, nice. I like those public pianos. Yeah. There's Add actually... a nice little spice to the city. There's one here at the sub. I noticed that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It gets used a lot. Yeah, they all seem to get used a lot. There was actually one in Missoula, and it was used wow. every time I saw it. There's really? just like some dude sitting there playing. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. Nice mm-hmm. way to encourage public performance. I know. They should have saxophones. Partaking of music. Just, just public saxophones. <laughs> just like attached on a string, you know, like a pencil. Do you want to share a saxophone with like, <laughs> everyone from the street? It's bring like, your own reed. Bring your own reed and <laughs> <laughs> play the saxophone. Pianos are nice because they feel like even though someone might have gross hands, there's only so much grossness that can come off of someone's hand. Yeah. If someone's got like their tongue in the saxophone and stuff. Like, it's a bad idea. I don't want to touch that. Maybe your own marimba. Or triangle, street drums. Triangle, that's good. Street percussion sets. Yeah, I like that. That could get obnoxious. When I was in Turkey, they had all these exercise machines that were outdoors. Have you ever seen those? It was like playground stuff. Yeah, it's like a public gym, right? Yeah, public gym. I've never seen them. Down at at the beach. So like just down at the beach, there'd be like a treadmill that you could like, or like an elliptical. Elliptical, yeah, I've seen those. Or like a... Yeah, but they looked a little more... things where you pump iron. Like playground structure with like feet things. It looked more plastic than like it would look in a gym. Did people use them? Or like people working out on them? I'm not sure, but yeah, you, that was the point. Yeah. Did you use them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Did you... Briefly. Yeah. Not like you were like, all right, well, I'm going to go get changed, have a shower and yeah. come down. Got You're on holidays, don't need to work out. 30, yeah. 30 minutes... 30 minutes on the elliptical. Exactly. Go back to the hotel. As you're away on, on the way to the Temple of Artemis, you're like, oh, I'm just going to put that off and have a workout. <laughs> uh, do do 50 reps. Exactly. Anyways, back to Missoula. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, back to Missoula. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting about Missoula is that as I explored the city and the breweries, 
I encountered some very different um, like legal structures around serving booze in the state of Montana than existed in, or perhaps the county of Missoula. I'm not sure if it was county laws or state laws. I don't really understand the difference. Um, but the, it, it felt very different from Vancouver. They had a lot of breweries, and the breweries felt like they could have been plopped into Vancouver, except that they were bigger than ones that you would find in Vancouver because there's more space there. And based around animal themes. And they're based around animal themes. But, like, the, aside from the naming structures, <laughs> like, the types of beer and the types of people at them were, like, similar groups. But, um, but they were run way differently. They all closed at, like, 9 p.m. Um, or 8 p.m. Ours closed at 11 o'clock here. Yeah, which is still, like... It's an extra two hours. It's an extra two hours. Crucial two hours, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually... it's it, it didn't seem like it was an important two hours until I was getting... I was walking into a bar at 8.45 and saying... we're last doing call. And they're saying, hey, we're doing last call. And I was like, oh, um, I'll have that one. And yeah. then you have one beer and that's it. Yeah, which uh, at a tasting room is kind of a bit of a crapshoot because you don't really know what you're getting yourself into yeah that's uh, the fun of the tasting room is going to give everyone a little sample and just uh obviously taste the beers that are available from Mm -hmm. each brewery yeah Uh, i I didn't think about it but like it actually really kills like tourists who are visiting the place who don't know whenever that everything closes super early that's a bit of a surprise especially uh coming from vancouver where no one no one really goes out until eight or nine yeah exactly you don't go out at six you wait around and yeah, we had trouble like getting late meals while we were there um, because restaurants all close roughly around the same time. Like we'd call places and say, "Hey, we'd like to make like we were going out for like a nice steak dinner, at, like one of the restaurants in town." And we were like, "Hey, what uh, what's the latest reservation we can get?" And they said eight thirty. Like, okay, all I right. guess we'll go to I guess we'll go for an eight thirty like uh, an eight thirty dinner. We wanted something later, but we'll we'll live with this. Um, so if you're going to Missoula, be prepared to yeah start eat, your day early and yeah go to bed before midnight. Yeah, get up early, go out early. There are dive bars actually that are open late. For some reason, the only thing that's allowed to stay open in past like nine or ten ish in the whole town is, is dive bars, and there's lots of them. There's like is it like a main drag, main strip, or are they kind of everywhere? They seem to be. I bet there were. We were kind of near the downtown area, and I remember seeing seven or eight of them in that in a town of like seventy thousand. And yeah. I don't know if that means all of them were there, or whether there were an equivalent number. But it's pretty easy the... to bounce around in between those. Yeah, so we checked out a lot of them, and a lot of them kind of sucked. Um, but we did find some that were really that were really fun. But it, the hard part about dive bars is that you can't tell if something is a good dive bar. Um, from the outside, so you go in. You 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 were saying earlier. Say it again about the Ivanhoe. And yeah, yeah. I think it, yeah, <clears throat> it would be like walking past the Ivanhoe and walking past the Cobalt, and they both kind of look the same from the outside. They both look kind of even crappy when, even and divey. You, but even if you poke your head in, you're like exactly kind of look the same. They have a very similar facade, but once you get inside, it's a very different feel. Yeah, like everything yeah. just and feels you different. you mentioned the brick house as well. It's, it's, which is also right there, thing. which is like even totally different from all those All on the two. same strip. Yeah. All in the dive bar category, but all very different <laughs> experiences once you're inside. Yeah, the weird thing about dive bars is that there's very little visual indicators that actually let you know 
what they're like until you've actually sat down for maybe like five minutes or so and like gotten a feel for what sort of music is playing, what sort of people are there, how rowdy they are. So were there any like tap rooms? Is it a beer town uh, outside of the breweries as well? Was there anywhere kind of like yeah, the, you know, the Alibi or the Cobalt? It's got a nice... Um, there was a list. place called the Dram Shop that had like a really nice beer list. Um, it wasn't as big as the Alibi. No, the Alibi I think is actually like it's one of the pretty best, unique, one yeah. of the best bars in North America. Yeah, um, just because of how unique it is. But there were places that like made an attempt to um, do that sort of thing at where they ha- would have like thirty or so beers on tap or that's 40, a solid 40, amount. Yeah, thirty <laughs> or forty beers on tap, which would be like That's a good selection. Yeah, it's still a it's still a pretty good selection. Um and like we did find a bar that like one of the bars that we thought was like one of the, just one of the other dive bars that had like fifty beers on tap and we're like, oh great. Well we'll we'll stick it stick it out in this one. Yeah. And and since you're in the States you can get four fifty whiskeys, um which are twice the size of anything you get in North, in, in <laughs> Vancouver. Um <laughs> Uh, the rhinoceros. If you're passing through, okay. So you you really uh, you painted the town. Yeah, we we checked it all out. We explored thoroughly. We had four days to mostly explore the town. We uh, went on a hike one of those days. But and what time did the bars close? Um, so you said they're the only thing we didn't. Stay open we late. actually didn't close them down. But I I, I think they probably closed at like one or oh, something. Yeah, okay. Maybe maybe it was just midnight. But they all yeah. seemed very busy. It's like everyone left wherever they were if, if they wanted to be out socializing and just headed to these bars yeah um, because we went into one of them earlier in the night because it was reputed to have great burgers and it did have great burgers and we went at like seven or eight for dinner and then we're like okay we'll go there and then we'll go to one of the breweries and we did it all backwards um we went there we had a we had a burger and then we tried to go to a brewery and then we got kicked out um but like at seven this dive bar was dead, completely abandoned. Because everyone's at the breweries. Because everyone's at the breweries or restaurants or wherever they are. Because they know that as soon as 10 o'clock comes that there's no possibility of eating, hey? Yeah, well, not really. I mean, there's some fast food places that are open. You, yeah. could, you, can, get a bur- you can get a burger from McDonald's or Five Guys or something like that. Yeah. But, um, no food trucks? Um, I saw a food truck once. But I don't think they're quite as popular as they are in Vancouver. One's a start. Yeah, one's a start. One's, one's a start. start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I thought it was interesting to see how the regulations had changed things. And I was talking to one of the distillers in, or one of the waitresses at a distillery, um, about why everything closed so early. And they're like, "Oh, we're legislated to because the bar owners have pay like huge licenses to own their bars," and like $750,000 or something like that to get the license to run their bar. And so they also have all this political clout because they're paying this much money for their licenses. They're saying like these distilleries have to be regulated. Like they can't compete with us too much. So they're only allowed to sell two drinks per customer. They're only allowed to stay open till 9 p.m. And Vancouver which doesn't really have much of a bar scene. No. Has a very, uh, seems to have a much more relaxed attitude towards opening um, breweries and their tasting rooms than exists in Montana. So I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, even though I complain about things in Vancouver a lot, <laughs> it's not as bad as it could be. No, mm-hmm. this is true. Yeah. This is true. We have a, a very 
amazing selection of breweries that all have, uh, well, many of which have fantastic tasting rooms as mm-hmm. well, where you can go and spend as much time as you would like. Yeah, you can spend a whole afternoon there. Yeah, they won't kick you out. No, there's no reg- very little regulations. There once was uh, quite strict regulations, and brewery tasting rooms and, uh, and lounges were not very popular. Mm-hmm. There were some people who were still doing it and operating one quietly, such as places like Storm Brewing and whatnot. And mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it was not a very popular destination. But now, geez, you can't even go into a tasting room without being told that you've got to wait five or ten minutes Yeah, just well, to get a seat. It's like or worse, it's or worse like, than going oh, to a bar. Oh, so full. Let's just go to Main Street. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Main Street was really smart. To open next to, right so next where they door. could get the spillover from Brassneck. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that's, that's actually not a terrible business model. Like, where's the best brewery in town with their tap rooms always going to be full? We'll just open next to them. People wait, wait with us, mm-hmm. drink our beers. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea. It works. Mm-hmm. Were you talking also about the the lobby, the anti-liquor lobby in the States and how they, that affected the laws? Um, I didn't talk about it too much. I don't know how prohibition back in the 20s mm-hmm. has affected the current laws in the States. I know that they deregulated from prohibition in like totally different methods from like state to state to state. And some places still are dry. Like I was learning today that um, the Jack Daniels distillery Mm-hmm. is in a dry county. So where is that? It's in Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lynchburg, Tennessee. So if you go on the tour of the Jack Daniels distillery, they're like, thanks for coming by. Here's some lemonade. And then <laughs> that you can't even try any of the whiskey after you've seen no, the you distillery. Can, they have you to gotta ship drive it, a couple they hours. They have to ship it all to somewhere else where, before anyone can even drink it. Legally, anyways. I'm sure that someone has drank jack daniels whiskey within that state but um behind a bush yeah behind a bush they weren't allowed to do it inside of the under the cover of darkness of inside of the police yeah yeah there's uh dry dry counties everywhere all over the states it's kind of strange yeah i don't know why anyone would want to live in one i wonder if there's any still in canada don't think so. We don't really have counties like that, though. Well, there used to be, you could have your town. Your town could be dry. No, you could have a dry town? Steinbeck, Manitoba used to be dry until about 10 years ago. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, my friend voted twice. To open it up? To make it wet? (laughs) Yeah. I think the the bill passed by 51%. Ooh. Yeah, and my friend was responsible for three votes. He, like, shoved all his friends in the car from Steinbeck who lived in Winnipeg and he's like we're going to vote <laughs> so it might have been him oh and then people of Steinbeck were like all these people from Winnipeg are coming in and spoiling the vote yeah that's it a real scandal try communities in Canada uh, Arrowwood, Alberta Cardston County and Linden Alberta Steinbeck didn't allow sale of liquor until 2011 yeah, Brenda's looking at a list. Um, it looks like there's maybe about a dozen towns mm-hmm. in Canada that are still dry. Interesting. So I guess it does exist. Yeah, just a few. Oh, well, I'm I'm glad we're not in one of them. Yeah, me too. I think Vancouverites would have a difficult time with that. Mm-hmm. People here that like they like to uh, they like they like their drinks. They like to yeah. drink. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot. 
but not too often. Ex- not to excess, but no. one or two. Yeah, mm-hmm. people. That's huge, though. the The microbrewery scene is exploding. Yeah, like Vancouver's microbrewery scene is. Yeah, and that moving, that was really an int- so interesting yeah. thing to watch happen because it was so quiet before. And, you, as and, you, and you were doing it from at least somewhat on the inside, not in the microbreweries, but at a different yeah, brewery. A different brewery. I've worked for brewery t- brewery tour companies and mm-hmm. things like that. So. Uh, yeah, spent a lot of, or seen a lot of uh, growth within the industry and just how much eagerness there is, one, from the industry side, and two, just from patrons. People really like to go to the brewery. It's a, it's a very novel concept, and it's a great place to go, like I said, and try out a bunch of different things, and then next time you go to the liquor store and you see that bottle, you know what it tastes like instead mm-hmm. of spending 650 or $7 on something that you've never tasted before. I think part of what, Especially part of the appeal of the breweries too is that it can give you a bar-like experience um, even though it's not technically a bar. Yeah. And there's a shortage of places that are real bars in Vancouver. Yes, it's true. You can actually like just go and hang out with your friends at yeah. and like shoot the shit and drink a beer. Yeah. And the breweries offer that, and I think that that's a. I, I think it's that's an part interesting of the situation sure. because it's an int- the tasting lounge is an interesting workaround um, to the fact that there is a moratorium on the issuing of li- liquor licenses, mm-hmm. uh, well, liquor primary licenses in British Columbia. So there's uh, no more being issued by the government. So if you go and try to bu- purchase one, you'll have to purchase one from some bar that already has one that already has one and obviously there's a high demand right now in vancouver which has made the price skyrocket yeah Uh, last i've spoken to a bar owner before about what the price of his liquor license was and he said that he um, had been offered in the past over a million dollars for to sell his license and he's he wasn't interested at that point, because he wanted to just keep owning the bar, but um, yeah, I've heard that the going rate he, is over a million dollars now. But like, when he retires, he will be a wealthy man, no matter yeah. what. <laughs> Even if his bar loses money it's until true. then, he'll he'll be a wealthy man as soon as he. Well, the moratorium license. is only on until 2022, so. Uh, well, I guess it depends on when he retires. Depends on when he retires, yeah. exactly. But uh, no, it's an interesting workaround because they're still allowing breweries to open, and brewery lounges to open accordingly as well, assuming you got all your red tape out of the way mm-hmm. but uh it's almost the same price some people would say at the end of the day to open a brewery with a tasting lounge oh, that as makes it would be sense, just because of open. all the all the infrastructure you have to build yeah to exactly so you, so some people say you might as well just start a brewery with a tasting lounge and you have a little bar mm-hmm. and then you can also sell the beer as well so yeah you got you get a little bar you get a beer and but yeah you can you most of the ones i know that are doing well-ish, they don't have any problem selling out of their product. They no. just they sell all of it, yeah. and then they just make as much as they can and sell that too. Yeah, but I mean, there is situations. Uh, people always say it's never going to happen, but R and B Brewing recently closed down. Oh yeah, that's true. So it, it it will happen eventually. People seem to think that there's an endless supply of money for microbreweries, nah, we'll, craft we'll, breweries. We'll hit, we'll hit peak brewery at some point, but we. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we were maybe we were already at Peak Brewery. It's possible. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. There's quite a few, and definitely starting to slow down mm-hmm. uh, the development and opening of breweries in the Lower Mainland, at least. Yeah, really? I feel like there's still space for them to grow in smaller communities that don't have breweries. So yeah, yeah like, I think Vancouver proper might be uh, s- hitting its, its definitely, limits. Yeah, soon, it's definitely slowed down. I don't know if it's the end of the 
the boom, but, but it's getting close. There's lots of small towns in BC that oh, yeah. don't have much in the way of breweries yet yeah. that could open one or two more. Well, did you notice that in America, there's a, almost like a brew pub or a brewery now in every small town? Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. So um, that's almost everyone we've had. We did, I, we did a little bit of research while we were on our road trip to figure out which um, which breweries were worth stopping at on the way. And we're like, wow, there's one in every town. It was too much information. We couldn't actually yeah. figure out which ones were good. So I think that's good. the result, right? It started in the cities, and now it's every little town wants a brewery or a mm-hmm. brew pub or something similar to that. So I think we'll see that And there's lots of people who just want to run well. one, and, but they have enough business sense to be like, mm, well, maybe Vancouver is like a, risky, a little too competitive. A little too competitive right now, but if I move to... I don't know, whatever small town. Summerland. Yeah, maybe the Summerland, there isn't one yet. Yeah. So I could be the only game in town in Summerland, and I could kind of just play around and figure out what Well, works. and yeah. you, st- you can still distribute to wherever you like within the province very easily. That's true. That's right? true. There are so, some places that are kind of success stories because they're fr- that have started in other places, like Tofino Brewing. Yeah, I mean, Tofino's a imagine really the small overhead. Town. It has a population of like <clears throat> a thousand people. It's a couple thousand yeah. full-time re- or uh Year-long residents. Yeah, but they sh- their beers all over BC now. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's other. I, I, there's some other ones that I can't remember off the top of my head. Fernie Brewing, maybe. Fernie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few. There's Tree Brewing in Kelowna as well. Yeah. They've been doing it for a long time. They're doing pretty well. Uh, yeah, there's a number of them. I I heard in the Comox Valley now. There's two or three breweries that have opened up recently. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they're popping up in the in the small rural areas. Well, we we've talked a lot about uh, beer regulation, but we're actually running out of time for <laughs> yeah. our show. I'm not sure if the Matt and Ryan show is coming on after us today. Is it? But they're not here, so um, we can ramble on about liquor licenses, play some more songs if you want, or we can just call it a well, happy night. Let's let's play another song right now. And then we'll figure out our plan. And we'll figure out our plan during the song. Great. So I'm going to play another track off the Vancouver Connection, Volume 1 by Big Smoke. And uh, by the way, you are listening to Peanut Butter and Jams. Um, yeah, right. And I'm Jordy. This is Brenda. And there's a Rob here, too. Rob's here. Rob's here. So this band is called Greenwash, and the song is Third Chance. <laughs> 